0: Man, it was a joy to just listen to you guys worship today, listen to your voices being lifted up. Thank you, team, for leading us so beautifully uh, as we're coming into the presence of the Lord. Man, it's a privilege, and I've really been thinking through the morning, man, we've just got all these opportunities, that the Lord's going to meet us in worship, He's going to meet us in prayer, He's going to meet us at the communion table, He's going to meet us in the Word. If you have your Word, uh, your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 1, because we're actually going to be starting a new series today that will take us through the month of March, all the way through leading into Easter, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's going to be a bit of a journey for us, I'll explain that here in a minute. Uh, But one of the things that you'll note is where we will start today is Mark's kind of audacious claim of the person of who Jesus is. That's actually the title of the message today. This audacious claim of him as Messiah, as, as him as the Son of God. And then the rest of the book, you know, the rest of the journey, we're basically kind of putting together the stories that Mark has compiled and curated to say why he believes that to be true and why we should believe that to be true. And it culminates with the resurrection as we go through Good Friday and we're going to celebrate that together and then we come into Good Friday together. And so all of these different pieces as we go through this gospel of Mark. Now, the challenge for God's people at the time was that they had to do business with this idea of what the Messiah was actually going to be like and we're going to spend a little bit of time on that today and what they found as they went forward and this was the story of Jesus earthly ministry was people were always trying to figure him out and always trying to kind of put him in the oh it means this and almost always he's going it doesn't mean what you think it means it doesn't look like the thing that you think it's going to look like And so this journey of getting to know Jesus, we have that same challenge. Sometimes we find ourselves saying, he's not exactly who I thought he was. He has something new he wants to reveal to us, right? And our misconceptions are sort of peeled away. Let me illustrate that for you with a little bit of a funny story that happened to me years ago. So I was in college. I had taken some time off of uh, my studies And I was actually living in the Dominican Republic. I was doing some extended missionary time. I was living with a family that did not speak very much English. And so I was learning a lot of Spanish. I already knew a fair amount and I would say that I was conversational, uh, but our daily language was just Spanish. So it was just immersion. I was, that's kind of what I did. Uh, I'm probably pretty rusty now. In fact, I'm not even sure I know how to say that in Spanish. I'm pretty rusty now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, So I'm I'm doing this uh, experience and I'm I'm living with this family and one of the days uh, that we were there, there were two guests that came, uh, both Americans and English speakers, okay? One guy was a missionary to the region and so he spoke fluent Spanish and was speaking Spanish all the time. And then his like higher up boss, who was a guy from the national office of our denomination actually, uh, was with him as well and he did not speak Spanish. And so the missionary is translating for the boss guy. Do do you understand the setting here? Okay, I'm in a different country, two guests that are there. And so as I'm going through the house, I do not even know they were coming and I I pass through the house and I see these two guys that are there and I hear the one guy say to the other in English, Uh, Oh, that's their son. Okay. And I was just passing through the room, didn't have time to correct it or whatever. And then, so I go back out to meet these guys a little bit later, fully intending to correct their misconception. But the guy that was the missionary greeted me immediately when I came in the room in Spanish, and I responded to him in Spanish. So now we have solidified their misconception just a little bit more. And then in sort of short order, I realized I was in a situation I had never been in my life and have never been in since. And that is I'm hiding in plain sight in front of two people who think that I don't understand what they're saying. (laughs) It was a very unique experience. And so I just drew it out a little bit. The boss guy says, hey, ask him if he's a student. So the guy asked me in Spanish if I was a student. And I said, yeah, I'm a student, but I'm a college student, but I'm taking some time off. I answered him in Spanish. He tells them in English, you know, translate it back. This went on for a little bit of time. And I thought, I I sort of want to draw this out for a while. This was such a unique experience that I've had. Uh, at, At some point, I finally did, you know, let the ruse end. And there was a moment of realization when these two people came to the conclusion that the person that they thought they were talking to was not the person that, that, that I actually was. And so I finally said, guys, I, I, I speak English too. In fact, I was hungry to speak in English because I'd been speaking in Spanish. You know, you actually, if you've ever been in that experience where you're not speaking your native tongue for a long time, you actually, you miss it. You know, you, you miss being able to converse with people uh, in your native tongue. So I was sort of eager to do that. And so I got to know them a little bit, but it was just this funny moment of Realization when they came to the conclusion that this guy isn't who we thought he was. And then they probably wondered, wondering, did we say anything that we shouldn't have said <laughs> yeah, in front of them? No, it was all good. We had a, a very nice time together. And in fact, if my memory serves me, I think we went out and had a nice lunch uh, and I believe it was goat experiences that you have. You are not who I thought you were was what they were experiencing. And I think that is exactly what the people in the time that Mark was writing this gospel were grappling with, what does he mean when he says that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? I want to give you just two quick asides, uh, and then we're going to jump into the first part of Mark 1. Uh, The first one is that as we go through this book, uh, you know that we have been doing uh, we're essentially going to be going through every major theme in all of the Bible, all the books of the Bible over about five years. And so we're about a year and a half into that journey. So Mark will be yet another book that we go through. And we always give you one of these little reading plans. So if you would like to just read the whole book with us over these few weeks, we encourage you to do that. Uh, compared to some of the other more rigorous reading plans we've given you, this one's a piece of cake. It's pretty light, uh, but it'll help you kind of go through that. So these bookmarks are at the uh, end info center in the lobby. And then I mentioned this already, but the baptisms that we're doing, so this is, this whole thing is going somewhere. We're going to be doing baptisms on Easter Sunday morning because we want you to be part of the living testimony that Jesus is still changing lives. I need someone to say amen to that. I mean, that's why we do what we do, is that Jesus is in the business of changing lives, and so we want to invite you into being a part of that uh, if you're saying, yeah, I want to get baptized. I shared about that uh, before. So the title of the message is The Audacious Claim of Christ's Identity, and the book opens with a very bold statement about who Christ is. And then all of the following stories that that John Mark puts together in the Gospel of Mark, he's collected and curated these stories to support his original thesis, that this is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, the very Son of God. And even the closest followers of Christ had to learn what that actually meant. We thought he would be different. We thought he would do different kinds of things. So today what we're going to do is we're going to read Mark 1 to 15, Mark chapter one, one to 15, and the three sort of breakdowns that we'll have. The first one is the prophetic pronouncement. Then we will look at the divine declaration and finally the good news of God. So let's read together uh, verses one and following. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice calling of one a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight paths for him and so john the baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins the whole judean countryside and all the people of jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the jordan river John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." So, may God have blessing to the reading of his word. Keep your finger there uh, in the word because we're going to keep going several more verses here today. The prophetic pronouncement. So, Paul or Mark starts with this uh, sort of thesis statement Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And now he's going to sort of back that up. Why does he actually believe that to be true? Why does he think that you should believe that to be true? Let me tell you just a little bit about John Mark, who is the author of Mark before we get in, because it's good to have a little bit of context. Uh, And some of these names are actually a little bit tricky. So John Mark is not the author of the Gospel of John, but is the author of the Gospel of Mark. Okay. Uh, His mother, Mary, that's an unfortunately common name as well, uh, would host services in their home uh, in the early church time. So it was literally a house church. So that was kind of his early experience with the ministry. Uh, Mark left, uh, Mark was actually a traveling companion of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. So in Acts 13, you hear about. Uh, Paul, Barnabas, they're going out and they're taking John Mark with them, but he doesn't finish the journey. Whether he gets discouraged or he's homesick or whatever the reason is, he kind of punks out halfway through. And then that becomes a really big deal because in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go out again and Paul doesn't want to take John Mark with him. That's the John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Doesn't want to take him with him because he said he wasn't ready, he was too young or whatever the, the thing is. And it became such a bitter dispute between Paul and. Barnabas Barnabas that they went their separate ways and, and they weren't uh, traveling companions or ministry companions anymore at that point in time. Now it wasn't the end of the story. Paul would later write about John Mark calling him a fellow worker. That's in the book of Philemon. And then when, when Paul is an older man and he's imprisoned, he writes to Timothy and he says, you know, bring John Mark when you come visit me because that guy's been a blessing. That guy's been a real companion or whatever. So we know that that kind of bitter argument that happened to younger leaders that weren't seeing eye to eye and going different ways, but it was actually over John Mark, who is the author here of the Gospel of Mark. The book begins with an audacious claim that hits right off the bat. This is all about the identity of Christ. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we, the readers, must decide what we think about that statement, for it is either true or it is not true. Why does John Mark begin with this claim? And how then does he support his argument? That's really all we're going to do today is kind of start in that kind of introductory space. So this first point is talking about the prophetic pronouncement because the first thing that John Mark takes us to is this idea that the argument for Jesus as Messiah is historically grounded and was prophetically predicted at that time. So if his readers were largely Jewish, they would have known that the discussion about Messiah was not a new thing. This dates way back, hundreds if not thousands of years, the idea that God would send a redeemer, a restorer, a savior, someone who is gonna make things right And so John Mark actually immediately sort of hones in on that to say this is historically grounded and prophetically predicted. He says, he he goes right to the book of Isaiah and says, Isaiah said this, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Now, why is that significant? Because the people in John Mark's time have seen the messenger. They have seen John the Baptist, the crazy guy with the camel hair and eating the locusts and wild honey. So they're looking at this in context and reading this pronouncement and saying, yes, Isaiah did say that, and yes, we did see him who would become the forerunner to Jesus himself. Now, as we go through this, I'm just gonna kind of build Mark's argument with you. What, What is he saying? Why is he making this claim? I think it's important for us to note two things. Number one, just because it is historically grounded and prophetically predicted does not automatically mean that it's right, right? It doesn't mean it's right. It could be that something was pulled out of this or this historical context or whatever. So we'll at least do that. But it does support Mark's thesis. Why do we claim messiahship? Why do we claim divinity of Jesus? And frankly, this is a really important question for the, those of us who would seek to follow him. Jesus actually fulfills the prophetic claims brought forth in Isaiah and lots and lots of other places but let's just acknowledge for the skeptics among us it doesn't automatically mean that it is right it just means this is how he's supporting his thesis and secondly and this is an important one it doesn't automatically mean that you care if it's right You could probably talk to a lot of people who would say, you know, I'm celebrating Easter. We're celebrating the Messiahship and the divinity of Jesus or whatever. And there's a lot of people that you know right now that would say, "I, I don't really care about that. Why should I care about that? And yet what Mark is gonna beautifully do is he's gonna take us on a journey so that by the time we get to the end, we've gotta actually do some business. Why should I care about the Messiahship or the divinity of Jesus? So, we acknowledge that. Just to illustrate that little point for you, it doesn't automatically mean that you care if it's right. There may even be somebody here in this room that say, yeah, I'm not sure where I stand on that. Um, if I made the audacious claim to you right now that the Beatles, like the band, the Beatles, uh, were so revolutionary because they were time-traveling aliens, you would be free to dismiss my theory as irrelevant to your life. I'm not actually making that argument to you today. So if you're taking notes, you don't have to write that down. If I said, though, that the songs of the Beatles were actually filled with clues that could lead you to fame and fortune and wisdom and treasure, well, then you'd have to evaluate your interest level and say, is that something that I even, I don't know if that even relates to me. But then if your friends started telling you, I think he's right, this is actually making an impact on my life. Well, now on a personal level, I've got to do some business with that. So I'm simply saying that to you to say, as we explore the the story of Jesus and the beauty that's unpacked in the gospel of Mark and all the things that we read, it's okay to ask the question, is this relevant to me at all? As long as we give a little bit of space that if the answer is yes, that we give room for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. So the Gospel of Mark begins by taking us back to see the arrival of Christ as something that was predicted, something that was anticipated, something that was expected, and this would be hugely significant for his early readers because they would know and understand the interplay over thousands of years from the ancient Hebrew text to the prophetic, the prophets like Isaiah, who came 700 years before the time of Christ, to the time of John the Baptist, who was prophetically predicted forerunner to the Messiah, that now they have seen with their eyes, and now we have read about It's an interesting thing in this interplay of of the past and the prophetic and leading in. I mean, this is how we actually study Scripture, that we understand that it is a unified story that is leading somewhere in all of the Old Testament, from the creation to the law to the, the prophets, everything is leading to the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus believed that too. I've preached to you before from Luke 4, you know, when Jesus begins his earthly ministry and he goes into the he goes into the temple, and the, the scroll is given for him to read. And some of you know this story. He re- Do you remember where he reads from? Isaiah, Isaiah and it's cha- specifically chapter 61. You know, talking about the eyes of the blind being open, and freedom for the captives, and the year of jubilee, pronouncing the Lord's favor. And then he shuts the scroll, and he says to them, okay, that, that, that scripture has now been fulfilled in your hearing. He takes this ancient thing and he brings it into his present ministry time and he says, you have now just heard the fulfillment of this. And the people were so disoriented by that pronouncement that they wanted to run him out. That, that, that service didn't end well, interestingly. But it revealed something about what Jesus believed about his place in history. So now our question is, is this significant for us? And I'm gonna argue to you today, yeah, it's hugely significant for us. And if you're not sure, that's why I think I would say these words, that's why you're not ready for Easter yet. Because you haven't encountered God in a way that he wants to encounter you. And I also understand if you're unsure of the question if this is significant. So, Mark begins with this idea, beginning with this prophetic pronouncement. And then, let's read a couple more verses because we now get into the second point, which is what I would call our divine declaration. Also hugely important, as Mark records. Look at verse 9 and following. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. Here's what it says. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Let's just read two more verses real quickly. It says that once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. So what is Mark doing here? He's, he's already kind of taken us back into this prophetic reality and historically grounded pronouncement of why Jesus would be the Messiah or the Son of God. But now he does something that's, that's a whole new sort of thing. He is recording what some of the other Gospels have recorded in greater measure. He is recording to say the baptism of Jesus was a real thing. And though we do not have the word Trinity in our Bibles... This is why we believe in the Trinity because experiences like this where the Son of God standing in the water, the Spirit of God coming down and the voice of God the Father pronouncing his affirmation over him. And then immediately, it's not so, not only do we see sort of the divine work of the Trinity, but then immediately Jesus is taken out into the wilderness for spiritual warfare where he goes toe to toe with Satan himself. And so, let's build this argument out just a little bit more. Not only is Mark saying it's historically grounded and prophetically predicted, but it is supernaturally authenticated. Now, if you're writing that down, let's note once again, that doesn't automatically mean that it's right. And it doesn't automatically mean that you care if it's right. But here's what it does take us into. How many of you believe that the world feels broken? Let's raise a hand. Okay, most of us do. Theologically, that's a right answer if you're a Christian. Okay. Good job. No no judgment if you didn't raise your hand. How many of you have friends, believers or non-believers, who would also agree that the world feels broken? All of us, right? That idea of the brokenness in our world is a very powerful apologetic. Now people, the the question that people wrestle with is, okay, I think the world's broken, whose fault is it? that's the question that you see batted around on news headlines and articles and everything. Whose fault is the brokenness in our world? And some would say it's the politician's fault. Some would say it's the entertainment industry's fault. Some would say it's the gun company's fault. Some would say it's religion's fault. Some would say it's not having enough religion's fault. Some would say it's big tech's fault. And the list goes on and on and on, right? Whose fault is it? What we actually see here, Mark has taken us into a very modern kind of question by bringing us to the supernatural reality of the ministry of Jesus. Because while we are all acknowledging that something is wrong, Mark actually points us to Messiah, Jesus, entering the brokenness of our world, not just with a cleanup plan, but with an understanding of the spiritual dynamics that are at play. So when Paul writes things like, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That subject doesn't come up on my newsfeed nearly as much as the others. Whose fault is it? Well, there's a spiritual battle that is at play. That's what Mark is drawing us into. When Paul would later write to the Colossian church in Colossians two, this is what he said. He said, you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ he forgave us of all of our sins, praise the Lord, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us because we were essentially objects of wrath in the eyes of the Father. But he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, this is the curious thing that he says in verse 15, second Colossians, uh, or Colossians uh, chapter 2. It says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And I think if you were to ask the people in John Mark's day when he's writing his gospel, who are the powers and who are the authorities that the Messiah will disarm? You know what the followers would say? Rome. It's Rome. Because we have had this thing figured out for generations that the Messiah is gonna come and he's gonna be a military leader and he's gonna set us free and we're gonna take our rightful place in the world and our enemies are gonna be trampled under our feet and man, it's gonna be awesome. And they didn't know who they were talking about because the Messiahship of Jesus actually looked very different. So anyway, we see this argument that it is historically grounded and prophetically predicted, but it's also supernaturally authenticated. So he takes us into that space and that's gonna continue through the book. Uh, and then finally, let's, let's go to our, little, our last point here, which is the good news of God. Um, verse two, just two more verses. Verse 14 says, after John was put in prison, he's just, John Mark is covering a lot of things really fast, but now after John Mark was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And what did he proclaim? The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. I actually really love the simplicity and the efficiency by which John Mark records, you know, big, important messages that Jesus would bring. So this is what he says. Here's a question that's kind of intriguing. What is the good news before Jesus has gone to the cross? Because when Jesus began stating, making this statement, The time has come. It says says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. But at this point, when we would say, well, what's the good news of God? We would say Jesus died to save us from our sins. But Jesus hadn't died yet when he was speaking this message. And here's just the, this is just so profound. So simple and so profound. The words of Jesus actually get deeper over time because Jesus comes out preaching the good news. Okay, good news. But now on this side of the cross and the resurrection, on this side of Easter, we're able to look at the good news of Jesus in an even deeper way. Jesus did this, for example, when he said things to his disciples, like if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And they said, okay, we sort of understand what you mean by that. How much more did they understand what he meant by that after they watched him take up his cross and die on it for the sins of the world? Jesus' teachings actually get deeper. They get more profound over time. And this is the thing, I was talking to our staff a little bit about this. We think we know what it it means when we read because the kingdom of God has come near. Because we do have a better perspective now than the hearers had at that time. We are witnesses to the life-changing work that Jesus has done. I suspect, however, that we will probably come either to the end of our life or meeting Jesus in heaven and we're gonna see things like, the kingdom of God has come near. And we're gonna say, we had no idea how profound that was. I just kinda get a sense that we will do that. We think we have a full understanding of this profound reality. We probably don't. Who is Jesus? What does it mean that he is the Messiah? What is the good news? Well, the good news, even in that time, was that the proximity between holy God and sinful humanity, all the things that we studied through the sacrificial system in Leviticus, all of that is being dealt with as Jesus comes to earth. Proximity has changed. Access to the kingdom has been granted. And so now what does this mean? We're gonna put up our third little slide that Mark is basically saying when we talk about the Messiahship and the divinity of Jesus, it is historically grounded, prophetically predicted. It is supernaturally authenticated, but it is also deeply personal and it's still changing lives. So now you could say, well, that doesn't automatically mean it was right. Right? And it doesn't automatically mean that you care if it's right, but as we follow in the steps of Jesus this month, we will have to wrestle with our response to the audacious claim that Mark makes in the very first verse, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And the gospel leads us to a point of decision his early readers would have to rethink what they thought they knew about Messiah. He wasn't actually a warrior, but a suffering servant sent to bring redemption through his suffering, and he was a warrior, but not in a way that they understood. One of our staff members said this, and I thought this was just so true. You know, when Jesus came the first time, he came as a suffering servant, they wanted him to be a mighty warrior. Now we say like, oh, when he's coming back, he'll probably be the suffering me. No, he's not, he's coming back as a mighty warrior. That's what the word says. So we've got to get our hearts in line, in line with who he says he is. And one of the great ways we can do that today is we meet him at the communion table. So what we're going to do now, um, that's, that's the message for you today. That's getting us started in the gospel of, of Mark. And we're going to have a good journey together as we go through this. Um, but we want to give you some response time. And we've met the Lord in worship. And we've met the Lord in prayer. We've met the Lord in the the word. uh, And we can meet the Lord at the communion table. This is a beautiful thing. He said, do this in remembrance of me because he wants to be present with us. And so when we do communion, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us. A little bit as we do this. I'm going to invite the folks who are serving communion at the tables. You guys can come on up and get in your places here. We'll get ready to do all of that. As they're getting ready, let me just give just a couple instructions, a couple words. We take time monthly to be reminded of a reality that affects us every single day. Today, we invite you to take communion as a part of your worship response. You know that You're already at the place, many of you, that you've said, I believe in Jesus as Messiah. I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And from this perspective, where you have read the Gospels and you have seen what has transpired, you know that the broken body of Christ, imagine he's saying this to his disciples? This is my body that's broken for you. He's celebrating Passover. They knew Passover. They didn't know communion yet. He says, this is my blood that's poured out for the remission of your sin. They knew Passover. They didn't know communion yet. So we get to meet the Lord uh, with, a, with a wonderful perspective of saying what he has done throughout history and up to his, his great redemptive act where his body was broken for the sins of the world, his blood was shed for the remission of those sins. Uh, and then we come personally to say, I receive that. What I receive that. Doesn't matter if you're a little kid, older person. Doesn't you know? If you if you love Jesus today, the communion table is open to you. If you've never bowed your knee to the lordship of Jesus, and you know if you have done that or not. Lord, I surrender to your lordship. I live for you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. If you have if you have never done that, uh, scripture actually says, "Don't come to the communion table because you're acknowledging a sacrifice that you haven't yet received." But we always say here. Don't see that as a prohibition. See that as an invitation. Today may be the day. He said, I'm gonna bow my knee to the lordship of Jesus. I'm gonna run to the table and we're gonna celebrate with you the redemptive work of Christ because the power of the resurrection is still changing lives. So we're gonna have a, a living testimony of that even right now. Paul writes this. He says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I was reading that in the first service and I just sensed the Holy Spirit say, some of us are not ready for Easter yet. Lord, as I remember your broken body, I remember your shed blood, help me to get ready for Easter. Maybe some things I need to deal with, some spiritual business. Just make that your time to do. We're gonna give you some space right now to do that as the worship team sings over us. When you're ready, uh, get up and come to the table. And we have uh, you can do it by intinction, which is the ripping of the bread and dipping it in. If you want something that's a little less hands-on, we have the two stacked cups. Make sure you get both of those little cups uh, as that has the bread on the bottom one. And if you need a gluten-free option over here on my left side, your right, where Ash and Heather are standing, uh, we have gluten-free elements as there. Uh, So this is your time. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you when you're ready. We will see you at the communion table.